I'm just going to begin with a wee prayer to help hold us in this space. Loving God, you are kind. And I want to name that for some many in this community, approaching scripture comes with some anxiety um, and fills others with joy. So I pray that you would help us to hold each other in this space, in this place as we do so, and to remember above all that you are kind and any versions of you which are represented here that are not kind can get in the bin. Amen. Uh, as Jeremy mentioned, we are in a series on wisdom, and we're beginning by looking at three of the wisdom books in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, they're very old, for better and worse. Uh the wisdom books we're looking at are Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, which, if you're not familiar with them, are three very different books that live in great tension with each other, which I think is a wonderful thing. They're not easily synthesized, but uh, I feel like there's wisdom in between them, and we need all of them. So as threatened in the weekly note, we thought we'd take a moment to name your favorite and least favorite proverbs, the ones that give you joy and the ones that uh, do the opposite. So does anyone have a favorite or least favorite proverb? Did anyone do their homework this week? No, didn't think so. I never expect anyone will, but, you know, just in case. Um, doing a quick scan, does anyone have a favorite or least favorite proverb? From the book of Proverbs, preferably. Oh, oh no. Um, I don't know if I can say it right, but it's um, about, like, it's better to have uh, a peaceful table with not much on it than to have a, a table full, but with strife. Um, yeah. That's a favorite one. That's great. Yeah. You may love conflict. I'm just checking. <laughs> you must, may be a bit of a prick. Um, my favorite is the wounds of a friend are more valuable than the kisses of an enemy. Um, and as someone that finds it hard to say difficult things to friends, um, I'm always encouraged by that. Sometimes it hurts to take out splinters. Are there any truths that you'd like to say this morning, to, just in the spirit of that, to anyone here? It will be recorded, so if they're not here, we can get it to them. Was that a hand, Matthew? It was? Okay. Oh, it wasn't a hand. It was just a nod. Okay, cool. Anyone else? All right. The one who builds high walls invites destruction. Is that a favourite or at least? Favourite, good. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, that's fine. No, no, we can live in the tension. That's okay. Uh, any least favourites? Any ones that people hate? There's just been lots being blocked out. Yeah. I can't believe that no one's raised the Proverbs 31 woman yet. <laughs> okay, there it is. There it is. We've found it. Yeah. It's going to touch that bundle of raw nerves. I, I had thought about talking extensively about that this morning and its use and misuse, but um, there's too many things to get through, and I found some other interesting things. The problem with being ADHD, you find something new and shiny you want to talk about. 
Proverbs describes wisdom as the way, the life, and the path. Uh, It's a book that's an invitation into wisdom, containing a series of speeches, a ton of pithy sayings, and a few characters that act as caricatures of wisdom and foolishness. Uh, You'll meet some of them if you scan through it, um, particularly in the longer speeches. You'll hear a lot from a caring father teaching a younger son. Um, You'll meet a bunch of characters personifying wisdom and foolishness, and there's two in particular. There's Tamsin referenced her last week, but there's Lady Wisdom, or Sophia, uh, and she, in the way that she's framed, is a personification of the divine. So she is the divine feminine, um, an expression of the fact that in Proverbs it treats wisdom not just as ideas, but actually as a relationship with something that sips, sits deep at the foundation of the universe, that somehow the divine and wisdom are intermingled and that God or the divine calls um, all of creation towards wisdom. And so you'll hear a lot from her and you'll hear a lot from the wise king, um, sometimes personified as Solomon and uh, other times not, but this kind of like wise ruler you'll hear a bit from. And these characters uh, are calling us to a life of deep joy and meaning by making difficult choices. Um, Making difficult choices now That'll pay off later. A lot of deferred gratification in their um, in their call. Uh, they call to hard work, to planning for the future, and for considering your impact on others, and particularly those less fortunate. Uh, and they are contrasted by these other caricatures: um, the foolish man, or the violent man, or the lazy man, and the woman of folly, or the seductress or temptress. Again, you'll see why in a minute. Um, but this is in many ways, quite a a patriarchal text because of its target audience and also because of, obviously, who held power. Um, These characters call you to a life of easy gains and cheap thrills. Um, They're the fun ones. (laughs) Do what's fun now and don't worry about the future. Uh, Take advantage of the vulnerable. They'll never be able to pay you back. (laughs) Um, Come hither to my bedroom. My husband won't be back for ages and he'll never know. Now, that's a reference, that's not an actual invitation, just for those confused. Um, my, sh- my <laughs> I was going to say my short disclaimer, but it might be a lengthy one, um, is I, <laughs> I just want to put my baggage with Proverbs on the table, there's a lot of it, and that this isn't like, I chose this book when the three of us were drawing straws of doing brief praises, this is not going to be a deep dive into any of the three books, but they're kind of like little overviews to kind of look at how they sit in tension. I chose this one because it's my least favorite by a long way, so I thought it'd be a good discipline to reacquaint myself with it um, and some of my some of my issues. Um, and my issue with it is not so much because of the content, even though there is some of the content I find tricky, um, but more for how it's weaponized, uh, and particularly how it's been weaponized in my past. Um, that's Lady Lady Sophia. Oh, that one. Yeah, here we go. Um, Proverbs, in my faith tradition, has often been the book of the smug. <laughs> uh It's a quote book wielded by those for whom life has worked out um, according to the script uh, and used to shame those whose lives are falling apart. 
I uh, have seen Proverbs quoted like these kind of divine promises for the obedient, uh, where all of life works out if you just follow them. Uh, I've seen parents who have had children who have kind of gone off the rails, um, had this stuff quoted at them by people who have had kids who have grown up just fine. Things like, you know, Proverbs 22, verse 6, train children in the right way, and when they're old, they will not stray. Um, and that's kind of used as a, uh, as a stick to beat people whose children are off the rails, as if the only factor in your children's success uh, is how well you've trained them and raised them. Um, Proverbs 11, 25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever, is refresh, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Uh, again, wielded by the smug who are feeling refreshed um, and a little prosperous. Uh, to point out, you know, that if other people perhaps have been more generous, maybe they'd be prosperous too. Um, 28, 25, the greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Why isn't your life working out? You're just not believing enough. If only you were more trusting like me, you too. Um, would have inherited um, enough to buy a house from your parents. Proverbs emphasizes a lot of personal responsibility, but not a lot of systemic awareness. In Proverbs, the most powerful factor in determining a person's prosperity and happiness are the choices that they make. I think that's a really important lens to come into Proverbs with. Um, I'll tell you why that's the case in a minute. But I'll read that again. The most in Proverbs, the most powerful factor. Did I actually put this on a PowerPoint? I can't remember. No, I didn't. Um, the most powerful factor in determining a person's prosperity and ha- happiness are the choices that they make. That's one of the central messages of Proverbs that has been drummed into um, into the uh, readership: is that your choices really matter. It doesn't pay a lot of attention to the other factors in people's lives that are outside of their choices and how that might affect their prosperity. That is why I hate Proverbs. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, I'm coming to peace with it. And a lot of it is because I've sat for a little longer than in my youth. Um, maybe there's even some wisdom developing here uh, with who Proverbs was aimed at. Um, who was it written for? Proverbs... Again, like it's, it's drawing from a lot of different places. Uh, it's drawing from a lot of different wisdom traditions, even within the Hebrew wisdom tradition, and even without. There's a section of Proverbs which is just like a blatant ripoff of an Egyptian king's wisdom book. So a, a, a huge chunk of it actually comes from another place. Um, it's kind of a collection of stuff. Uh, and it was formed, the scholarly consensus is it was formed to train young men who were going to court, um, not court as in legal court, but court as an ancient kingdom court. Uh, people, young men who would, be wiz- who would be rulers and leaders within the community and hold a lot of power um, for their fathers to sit with them with this book um, and take them through how to learn what to do with their privilege and their power um, and, to, and how to lead a successful life. These men have the world at their feet, and they're being trained for great responsibility. These men um, have more testosterone than is healthy for any person, Um, underdeveloped underdeveloped prefrontal cortex and impulse control, um, and societal expectations and gender privilege about what it is they are to become. But these men are also young men. They're also, by and large, lost in the world. 
They're trying to make their way in the world, work out what it is to be a man. Young men who have a world of opportunity, who just really, really want to have fun, but need to balance that with what their responsibilities are and are being invited into a life of meaning. So the question is, what do young men with a lot of privilege and a heap of options need? (laughs) And Proverbs seems to think that what they need is a container to hold them, a path to follow, some bumper bars to prevent too many dings before they learn to drive this life that they've been given. And around them, they have a community, in the best cases, they have a community nurturing them who have seen young men before, some of whom who have been young men before, who know the beauty and goodness, but also the chaos and destruction that this point in life can bring. So we're just going to quickly read through Proverbs, a chunk of Proverbs 4 here. Um, Does anyone else want to read it so we don't get sick of my voice? Or should I? Oh, thanks, Ben. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all of your heart. Keep my commands, and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Thank you. What vibe do you get from this? What kind of feelings stand out? It's beautiful. That's nice. Caring? Yeah. Earnest. Yeah, it's really earnest. Yeah. Eye for an eye? Yeah. If you do this, you'll get that. Yep. Yep. Procedural. Yeah. Very relational. Yeah. It's what? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Matt? Presumptuous? Yeah. Yeah, so for those who weren't here, um, presumptuous, that the truth comes from above, that wisdom comes from above. Yep. Any other vibes? Cool. Oh, yes. Yeah, the idea that there's danger. Concern would be one of the things that I, I would point out there as well. Yeah, like there's a, there's a sense of concern that there's a, there's, there's a threat. Yeah. Yeah, that you gotta gotta protect yourself from others. Yeah, yep, yeah. So it's kind of like parental concern and nurture um, lying under this, um, and there's a relationship there. It's from someone who knows someone and cares about them, doing their best to prepare them for the world. Um, if we go back a couple of steps of where Proverbs is weaponized, <laughs> Proverbs is often weaponized when there's no context, no one 
for the person's life who's on the receiving end of it, and no care and cons- no care and concern. It's not when it's weaponized against people. It's often used as a stick to beat them with, with no real concept of their situation. But this is actually, I guess, like a, there's an intimacy to this. Um, you've got these, this kind of worried dad, and I heard a, I was listening to a podcast this week about a um, uh, former. Um, Footballer, soccer player, who I who I really love, having a conversation about what to do with his daughter in Instagram, and knowing how Instagram shapes brains for twelve-year-olds, knowing what her friends are going through, forbidding her from being on Instagram, but knowing the social ramifications for her in her social group, but also knowing that there's stuff about that that she didn't get yet about the way it was shaping her brain with comparison and all these kinds of things, and wrestling and sitting and wrestling with that of just going like. How do, like, what is, like, what's the wise path here? Like, I don't actually know, but I'm concerned about the threats for the, this person that I have to take care of and, and responsible for. Um, and Proverbs is that kind of book. It's this sense in which um, these young men who have been given enormous power and enormous privilege, they are kind of the elite in their society of going, they can really mess some lives up, including their own. How do we keep them safe? Like, what's it, what is a wise path? look like um this stuff is kind of saying we care about you we've been here before there's many voices calling you listen to these ones it's what Carl Jung and Richard Raw call the first half of life wisdom it's about building a container and identity ego formation working out a simple version of the way the world works and helping people find their place in it, a particular group of people. Um, so for those, some of you will be familiar with kind of Richard Raw's first and second half of life stuff, um, but we'll do a really brief overview here. We might touch on it some more with Job and Ecclesiastes because there's um, Job and Ecclesiastes are second half of life wisdom books. <laughs> uh, Proverbs is primarily a first half of life wisdom book. So we'll just chat briefly about that. This is Richard Raw replacing Lady Sophia, but you can see the similarities if you look closely enough, yeah. Um, The task of the first half of life is to create a proper container for one's life and answer the first essential questions. What makes me significant? How can I support myself? Who will go with me? In the first half of life, success, security, and containment are almost the only questions. They're the early stages in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We all want, want and need various certitudes, constants, and insurance policies at every stage of life, but we have to be careful or they'll totally take over and become the only task, keeping us from further growth. The first half of life is discovering the script, and the second half is actually writing and owning it. And I'd argue also the second half of life is working where the script falls apart. So this is... Um, providing something clear and straightforward that in later development you're supposed to push against. Some of you have been through uni and that experience of learning things in first year uni and then having your lecture in second year uni saying, all of that's bullshit. <laughs> like, don't, like, all that stuff we taught you doesn't really work like that. Here's, here's the second layer. Here's how it actually works. Or here's where the stuff falls down. Um, it's physics before quantum physics. It's Newtonian physics before quantum physics. Um, 
We'll talk more about Job and Ecclesiastes and how they challenge the straightforward script later in the series, but it's important to note that the first half is a necessary gateway to the second half of life. To begin life with despair, with no sense of security, and with meaninglessness doesn't form a strong enough container to weather the inevitable curveballs later in life. I've got a seven-year-old. I don't know that existential despair and how frail the world is is the container I want him to experience first. Like, I think first I want to, I want to confirm to him that he's been held, <laughs> that he's loved, that there is a degree of safety in life, um, that there are ways in which the world works, even though they can be ruptured. Um, my son asked me a while ago about burglars, and you've got a decision point at that place, which you need to know your child for, to know how their mind works. Are they a kid that's ready to hear our home could be broken into at any time? And you know how you think I'm strong? If someone hits me with a baseball bat, they can do whatever they want to you. Like, is that, like, is that the wisdom that we want to give a seven-year-old child? Or do we want to start with, do we want to start with, you're safe, it's okay, I'm here, I'll protect you. I think it's that one. And this is kind of Proverbs wisdom, where it's first half of life, it's a safe container, it's a starting point, it's teaching general patterns, um, teaching that if you do this, the world works out like that. But the reason that Job and Ecclesiastes are in the canon is because that's not how life always works. It's only one part of the story. Um, so Proverbs is an invitation into a wisdom tradition, into a deep pool and a series of well-worn paths. It emphasizes this by introducing you to alternate paths, the dark path, the foolish path. These are personified by those recurring characters that act, of, act as caricatures of wisdom and foolishness. Um, so I want to just invite you into um, a little exercise for just a moment about the wrestle of wisdom, which Proverbs does actually touch on, and we're going to do it like this. So I'm going to give you a table, um, a proverb, and your job at your table just for a couple of minutes is to sit with this proverb and tell me why it's true, Okay. You don't need to argue the counterpoint. Tell me what truth there is in it and when it might be useful.
So when's a good time to use this? Okay, which half of the building got Proverbs 26 verse 4? Who got verse 4? Your half got 4? 26 verse 4? Okay, cool. Does anyone from this half of the building want to talk? Um, I'll read your proverb out for you. Uh, Do not answer fools according to their folly, or or you will be a fool yourself. So does anyone want to respond to like where there is wisdom in that, when you might use it? Without mentioning COVID? We actually thought it was uh, a Facebook proverb. (laughs) Because um, if you start going down that rabbit hole, you never stop. And so don't leave it alone. Don't start. (laughs) Don't feed the beast. Okay. Any additions from other tables? Other than nods? Exactly what you said. Okay. Yeah. Oh, what's your quote? My friend used to say, don't argue with an idiot because they'll drag you down to their level and be with experience. Yeah. Yeah, and meet you with experience. Yeah, okay. So what Proverbs is clearly telling us is don't argue with idiots. It's not worth it. So that's easy. Okay, who got 26 verse 5? I'll just read your one, which is actually the verse after this proverb. Um, Answer fools according to their folly, or they'll be wise in their own eyes. When's, when's that a good idea for this half of the room? So we talked about small children that will refer to people as fat or whatever and how that's more naivety than foolishness. But if you don't challenge that way of referring to people, then they're likely to cause hurt or get hurt themselves. Yep. Yep. Anyone else? Yeah, cool. So I saw that as answering them according to their folly is not engaging to try and change their mind, similar to the other one, because by the end of it, they wouldn't have changed their mind, and because you've made clear you have a different viewpoint to them, their perception becomes, oh, well, I'm, I'm wise, and, yeah. and they now think that you're the silly, uneducated one. But if you just play along, you say, oh, yeah, cool, man, right. yeah. Yeah. then you yeah, yeah. dodge that. So. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Anyone else? Again, because we're on Facebook and Twitter threads. Um, it's the, like, sometimes I think it's the, the person who's arguing with someone on the internet, um, and then the second person there reveals they're the one with the, like, PhD in astrophysics, the expert in what they're actually talking about, and, like, that is actually worth sometimes in someone who's claiming expertise for someone else who actually has the expertise to say, actually, this is my area of expertise, <laughs> and that's not. Correct. Otherwise, that person will ne- will always think that they, um, yeah, hold the truth in that. Yeah. So, whose proverb is right? Who got the best proverb out of the two? Who likes their proverb than the other one? Your one is better. Smug and superior. That's exactly what we're trying to breed here. Um, in fact, yeah, exactly. Oh, you should be. Exactly. That's key. That's key to being smug and superior. <laughs> Bask in it. Um, so even Proverbs, Proverbs stacks these two as 26 verse 4 and 26 verse 5, two conflicting pieces of information. Because one of the things that happens when you quote a proverb as a standalone piece of information without any reference to anything else is you don't throw in all the counter wisdom to that piece of wisdom. And you don't wrestle with, when is it a good time to apply this 
and when is it not? And that's one of the things the book of Proverbs is trying to do here, to say, sometimes this seems like a really obvious, clear path, duh. Like, but at the same time, sometimes the exact same situation, you need to take another path. And your job is to wrestle and work out what path is the right path in that situation. Um, and what frustrates me about smug, weaponized Proverbs people is often they're really good at quoting one stream of wisdom without having contemplated any others, um, particularly people who are obsessed about the individual but don't think about the, the systemic. Um, so I'm repairing my relationship with Proverbs as we go. Um, there's this idea in Proverbs that wisdom stems from drawing from outside yourself. Uh, and often in Proverbs, it's quite top-down, as Matthew pointed out. So I think there's some critique that can be leveled there. Uh, but I do like the idea of a community of wisdom. There's a community of people that have gone before who don't know everything about every current situation but have seen enough fruit of decisions to have a history to draw on. Proverbs can function as a pool to draw from. But what we also need are communities of wisdom, people from different ages and stages who have seen some things and lived some lives. The burden to create our own identity and path and solve life's complexities by ourselves is too big a burden. And that's when I think that um, we're increasingly left with, where we, we have, because we've got less collectives within our society, we have less kind of communal pools of wisdom which, with which we can draw from. And I actually think they're really important because I think left alone, left alone to our own devices, having to give the appearance of having everything all together is actually quite a complicated task. Um, that being able to draw from people who have had different experiences, who've walked before us, um, or, or even from below, who can provide perspectives outside of ours is actually a really important, um, I, I think it's a really important discipline the discipline of listening, the discipline of um, observing, the discipline of finding experience in other places. Uh, this is Pete Enns, who runs a, um, haven't got a picture of Pete, sorry Pete, who runs a really lovely podcast called The Bible for Normal People. Some of you might be familiar with it. Um, he's one of my favorite New Testament scholars. Um, here he's speaking outside of his field, so don't trust the word he says, because it's Hebrew Bible. Um, as I see it, Rather than a book designed primarily to provide answers, the Bible, and with this Proverbs, um, is a book designed to cultivate wisdom, which is a lifelong process of maturing us into disciples who wander well along the unscripted path of faith and tuned to the presence of God along the way. Um, and I think Proverbs is a really great resource um, for this stuff but it needs to come with a few warning signs. Um, and the caveats I'd put with Proverbs, did I put them on a PowerPoint? Yes! Go past me. Um, these are guidelines for Proverbs. These are Shane's guidelines for Proverbs. You can, out, you can source your own wisdom on this. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Um, Proverbs are not promises. Um, they're more possibilities. If you're generous, people will be generous back, back to you. It's a good possibility. And... It kind of rings true. It's not always true. Using that as a um, give all of your money to the church uh, and don't worry, God will fill up your bank account mysteriously, which is how it's been used in a lot of contexts. That's not a great use of Proverbs. Um, they're possibilities, not promises. They're not timeless. Uh, they're not indisputable. And they're not truth from nowhere. So these come from a context. 
as I referred before, these come from a highly patriarchal context. They come from an ancient context. They come should come with some warning signs about the structures of society. Um, and we read them with context too. With our, we bring our own stuff to them. And holding that with an open hand is a really wise thing to do. That doesn't mean they've got nothing to teach us because just because something's old and ancient doesn't make it bad and doesn't make it that it's got nothing to say to us. Um, the kind of like eternal progress narrative of history has its own dangers. Uh, but I think a better way of approaching Proverbs is a living well, an invitation into community and a starting point. And maybe kind of like a wrestling companion, <laughs> like something that can teach you, that can kind of prompt you and prod you. And like these two Proverbs sit side by side and say, how is it that you wrestle with wisdom? What is a good path? What will bring a life of flourishing? Um, what will make a more just world? As, and as we'll discover in Ecclesiastes and Job, sometimes wisdom is knowing the rules well enough or knowing the script well enough to know when it's broken and when it doesn't work. That life doesn't always work out. Even if you do all the right things, it doesn't work out like you hope it will. Um, and you need wisdom in that place too, in that second half of life wisdom. Hooray. That's all my things. Does anyone have responses to that? Is that like bring up anything for anyone relevant to this discussion? <laughs> Large asterisks, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Great story about my ex-wife there. <laughs> no. um, yeah, anything? Yeah. It's just a question really more for the podcast, I guess, but um, Richard Raw and Peter Enns, is there a possibility of putting references to them and the, their, their books or whatever um, that we can follow up? Thank you. Absolutely, yeah, we can do that if someone reminds me. ADHD, Shane, bears no responsibility for the promises I make on a Sunday. Uh, that'd be great, yeah. Um, PDNs wrote one of the best books on like kind of like a beginner's guide to approaching the Bible called The Bible Tells Me So. Um, yeah, which is kind of a sarcastic title if you need to send me a but yeah, yeah. Giving is the most important thing in life. Yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to think about the these books were all written to a collective society, and we live in a very individualist society, and so there's a lot we'll miss if we're not got that lens. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Just as you were wrapping up, I just kind of had this, it seems like it's almost the Book of Proverbs is drawing us towards being intentional with our lives mm. and just mm. actually thinking about things, yeah. whether yeah. it's almost like the wisdom is like, just try and do the right thing. Yeah. And like, if that's a goal, it'll, yeah. like that's, yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. the point is. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, like, it's the young man going out on a Friday night and the dad grabbing him on the way out the door just going like, have fun, but, <laughs> like, <laughs> have a think about this. Like, if you're going to get wasted and drive a car, there's possible consequences to that. Like, yeah, life is fun and should be enjoyed, but also 
you've got to wake up in the morning too with whatever you've done. Like, and it's that, yeah, it's that invitation to kind of pause with our lives and go, you know, and there's, there's great stuff in all three of these books about, and like one of the things they dig into is like, what is it to live a meaningful life? Like, and how, like, and how, do, we, like, how do we get there? And I think it's a, yeah, a great reminder to pause and go rather than just going on autopilot. Like, where is it that we can actually choose to live in a way that brings flourishing to ourselves and others? Yeah. Okay. We're going to have communion now for those who want to. And um, I feel like Sam last week ruined Tamsin's poem by trying to like triple shot communion the whole way through so no one could really pay attention. So I bought my own poem this week, Sands, a child who's doing tequila shots with communion. We might be able to concentrate. Um, so I'll read a little Jane Richardson poem um, when we all have our communion. So they, for those of you who want to participate in this practice, um, this is a practice of radical hospitality. It's a practice of remembering um, goodness and sacrifice. Um, Jesus said when we gather to do this in remembrance of him, um, and the life that he lived. And so we've got crackers and juice. And so if you want to take part in it, you can take a piece of cracker and a bit of juice. Um, it's in a glass, fortunately, so it makes things way easier. Um, and then just hold it until everyone who wants some has got some. Um, then we'll eat and drink together um, at the table of equality. And for those who don't want to participate, that's totally fine too. Or if you just want some juice and cracker because you're thirsty, that's okay as well. It's not much. That's all we've got. Uh, cool. So, yeah, come. We'll know who the real Christ-like person is by the one who eats the cracker off the floor. <laughs> the dog. The puppy is the Christ. <laughs> All along. No. No. The puppy knows what it did last night. Rod, the diviner of numbers. This is a poem from Jan Richardson, and it's kind of a gateway poem between Proverbs and um, Job and Ecclesiastes. She is one of our patron saints. Um, she's an American poet who deals a lot with grief, grief and mystery, and paints beautifully too. It's called The Wisdom of the Moon. God of the two lights, I love the sun, its revealing brilliance, its lingering warmth. But in the dark of night, let me learn the wisdom of the moon, how it waxes and wanes but does not die, how it gives itself to shadow, knowing it will emerge whole once more. Let's eat and drink together.